Hello, I'm Martin. And I'm Angelina. And this is the CX Cast. Today we are joined with a principal analyst and my teammate over in Europe, Enza Iannopolo. Welcome. In fact, ciao, Enza. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Angelina. Now, Enza is a specialist in uh, security risk and particularly privacy or privacy, depending on where you come from. And um, I want to kind of start there. We're going to get into what this means for CX professionals. And also we're going to get into some um, some experiences Enza's had recently about playing with some uh, emerging technology and the privacy implications. But let's take it back to consumers, first of all. So we've got a privacy framework at Forrester that kind of maps out how do people's attitudes towards privacy, would you say? Yes. And this comes from a, a um, an idea that we had some time ago, which is uh, usually consumers don't have binary preferences on privacy. It's not, do you want to share your data? Yes or not. Uh, do you want to know who else has access to your data? Yes or not. The answer is it depends. And the segmentation is created really to try and capture those elements that will make consumers have certain attitudes for privacy. And so we have come up with five different groups of consumers, depending on their privacy preferences and attitudes. And there are roughly two groups um, that we call the the reckless rebels and the consumerists. Those are consumers and typically are open to share their data with companies. So if you say, do you want to share your data with company X? They may say yes. The rebels, which also are the youngest in our segmentation, are the one who really have less concerns. They have grown up sharing their data and they don't necessarily see that sharing data might have implications um, and risks. One typical example is that if your car is uh, collecting data about the way you drive and, and you might simply say, yes, I'm happy to share that data, you might not see that also that data might be used from your insurance to adjust your premium, for example. So these very young consumers share their data, don't think about some of the implications, don't think about the risks. The consumerists instead are consumers that are happy to share their data, but typically they are looking for a certain benefits or a perk out of the sharing. So those are the ones who will share data if you give them VIP um, experiences or if you give them loyalty points, if you give them any sort of discounts, for example. So a number of benefits uh, that that they are going to have in exchange for for their personal information. They understand that their data has value. They understand that companies working on their data will make money or will have other benefits out of these. uh, And they want to be part. They, They want to also... Um, have some of that benefit in return. In the middle of our segmentation, our third group is the uh, savvy digitals. Those are people that very con- they are concerned about privacy. They understand the risk associated with that, and they typically share their personal information if that is necessary for a certain service or for using a certain product that they really want. So it's very specific. It's very um, you know defined to the use of a service or a product. They are the one who are going to check your privacy policy. They are the one who are going to make sure that if they say, hey, I want to be forgotten, you actually have everything in place to go and delete their data. And then we have the final two groups. Those are also the kind of the, the older groups in our segmentation. 
the skeptical uh, protectionists are people that are very worried about privacy. They understand the data economy. They understand the risk associated with sharing data. And they have generally an issue of distrust. They don't trust companies. They don't think that companies are going to do the right thing with their data. Uh, they think companies are always going to use data for their own benefits. So those are those consumers that it's kind of difficult to convince uh, to, to share their personal information. They will go through the privacy policy. They will um, also have a clear impression whether you are, are, are a company that they can rely on or not, depending on how easy it is to find a privacy content, how easy it is to ask for certain rights, how easy it is to you know, engage with a company around privacy. And then finally, our um, last group is the um, is the consumers that are really concerned about sharing their personal information. We call them unawares because they don't understand the data economy well. They don't understand the specific privacy risk either. They think it's bad to share my data. Something terrible will happen, so I don't share. For these consumers, education is very critical. Um, so they, if if an organization can help them understand that there are action and there are some risks, but also there are ways in which you can stay still in control. There are ways in which you can protect your data still. Um, those are the consumers that might be uh, then persuaded into sharing data, but they are not aware of how things work and for that reason they are worried. So you're not describing a simple linear scale from I don't want to share my data to I'm totally happy. You've described attitudes towards risk, knowledge, education, comfort with the digital economy or the, the information economy. So this is quite a complex environment you're describing. So does that vary by by country, by demographic? Do, we, do you see big differences between different segments of population? Well, that's a very interesting question, both for consumers and also on the employee side, we did a similar exercise. Um, I would say that the distribution of the segments across regions tend to be very similar. We tend to see um, high concentration of the reckless rebels, so these young uh, consumers that are um, not aware of the risks necessarily. And for example, in Europe, we have about 30% of them. Um, in the US, is more or less on the, the same um, size in terms of, of group. Um, so what I would say is that um, overall, the groups tend to shape up similarly. Um, there are some truth in the, uh, and also in our own stereotypes. Yes, in Europe, you may see, especially in Germany, for example, the number of the skeptical protectionists tend to be higher, a larger group that you may see uh, in the US, for example. So there are some differences, but the reckless rebels, the unawares, so on the two sides of the spectrum tend to be a consistent across geography. Um, also, the, the savvy, the digital the savvy digital, so those that share data only for certain services or, or, and products tend to be uh, pretty consistent. In the US, we have a larger uh, group that is only consumerist. Those consumers then share for a clear value um, in return. But I would say there weren't very big differences that, that would describe a completely different um, situation. It's consistent. So the um, the, the, the elements that we use to build the segments and also to be consistent across across those regions. Okay, so I'm going to reveal some ignorance here because I'm definitely one of those people that loves to reject any sort of data collection just to throw it in their faces um, and also so that people don't know the online shopping that I do. <laughs> but in any case, 
what you're saying, and I, I think what you're getting at is there's there's some sort of value exchange that can happen here when we get the data exchange right. Is that correct? Absolutely. And this is one of, I think, probably the most crucial challenge for organization. Um, typically, when an organization has to explain why they want data, they would describe their own goals, their own purposes. They rarely think about, well, the customer is going to read this policy, but it's the value for our customer. And, and the best example might be, we want your data to give you a better experience, which is so vague and so undefined. And many, many customers might say, what is that? So I typically look, for example, where a company can be much more concrete. Even if you are telling me that you are going to give me a better experience, tell me what it is. I'm going to have access to some preview of a new set of products, of a new collection. Um, I'm going to be given something that someone else is not going to be given. So um, there is really an opportunity to explain to customers what the value exchange is. But you have to wear and you have to wear the shoes of your customer. Tell them what is the what is in for them, what's the value to them, not what is the use for the for the organization. So um, that the explaining the value exchange is um, it is a critical point, not only meeting compliance requirements because you have to say what you use the data for, but also really helping people understand if you give me your data, this is what you're gonna get back. So who does it well? Ah, that's a very difficult question. So, um, the answer is no say, one. You know, when you ask me the question, two specific verticals come to mind. One is uh, quite specific, maybe, but um, the luxury re- retailers. I've seen some of them doing very good things. And also this comes with the fact that they can really... Um, curate a little bit of the experience, but they have a lot of options. They can invite you to uh, kind of give me your location data and I'm going to invite you to a local show that I'm doing uh, for some selected customers. Um, I can invite you to have a preview or a new collection. Um, you know, they have a lot of opportunities to also say, well, if you give me your data, I'm going to give you a discount on something that you are going to buy. There were a few that were also offering the free discounts or the free sh- the free shipping of products um, for if you were to, to subscribe to their n- newsletter. So I think uh, they are being creative and also it's easier for them, of course, to then add value pieces uh, for the experience in the privacy exchange. And then lately, I've seen banks doing a much better job. Of course, banks are highly regulated. They have you know, in every region, I think they had to deal with privacy for a very long time. And they, and some of them, have really transformed the approach from a very cold legalist type of approach into a much more brand-focused and promise-focused approach that is about value and commitment. There is this one specific in the UK, and I love to tell the story because the, the bank updated their privacy policy. So it was a normal, boring activity. But instead of sending an email to customers say, oh, we have updated our privacy policy. Do you want to take a look? They created a page on their website where they put a very nice video explaining to people why that was important to them. Very accessible language, you know, very concise in the message. But the page was about this is our commitment to you. Uh, so all the language was about value and commitment and principle. So 
that is our brand. And our brand is also the, the commitment to your privacy. And then there were just three simple bullet points in which they were explaining what that commitment was about. Uh, we'll keep your data secure. We'll never share data without your consent and so forth. And then you could then click and go into the long privacy policy and all the boring stuff. But the impact of seeing that page in which it was commitment and, and we care about your privacy and this is our value, I think that was uh, that was very good in, in changing the language from a boring legalist compliance driven to a more value driven and brand centric um, language. I'm picturing a bunch of CX professionals going on luxury websites now and trying to get the privacy experience from Gucci and Burberry. Um, and and I always think the best thing to do is go out there and hunt around for your own examples and experience it yourself and see what you learn. To that end, what what would you like CX professionals to look for to understand about privacy? I think that the best um, advice is one you gave, which is go to a website, maybe your own company website. Pretend. Uh, so if you have cookies that are going to tell the website who you are, just make sure that you are deleting those. So you go as an unknown user to your own website and start to see all those privacy messages that are going to pop up into your face, the cookie banner. They might ask you to subscribe to a, a campaign that they are running go through your privacy policy, see how, how does it feel? Do you recognize your brand? Do you recognize your language? Do you recognize the kind of message that you want to transfer? When you think about your brand, what is the color of those pages? What are the specific visual elements on those pages that customers should still associate with your brand? How is the experience? How easy it is to find the information that you want? How easy it is to understand what is that privacy policy saying? Do you understand the value exchange? So just run through that exercise and kind of find all the ways in which that, that message would be much more powerful if all that you learned of your uh, kind of customer journey exercises was reflected there. I recently had a conversation with uh, um, uh, the head of customer experience of a financial services organization here in Europe. And she said... I don't understand how we went through five or six key customer journey mapping exercises. We never thought about privacy. We never identified that specific journey, not as a single journey and not even as an element into all the different journeys that we mapped. And she was like, maybe we have to start over again because yes, it's such a crucial exercise. It's such a, a crucial component, right? That, that uh, privacy uh, communication with customers and see sometimes we... We lose track of it. I really like that. It's that's just like a five-minute, super easy, super actionable thing you can do. Just clear clear all the cookies, go on your own website, and see how many times you interrupt your your flow and how off-brand it is, and then go fix that. So that's something everyone can take away. Sorry, just one thing, because from a privacy perspective, when we asked last year, this year, we asked over 800 privacy professionals, what is the biggest limitation to the effect, effectiveness of your privacy program? And they responded, number one barrier is fear to um, have a negative impact on the customer experience. So if privacy professionals can have their own idea about how we can improve that, and they finally can walk over the corridor, knock the door of that privacy officer and say, hey, I, am, I have a suggestion how we can make this more effective. 
you are also going to help privacy professionals trying to solve a very big pain point they have. They are afraid that the work that they are doing will have a negative impact on their experience. And so this is for me just just work together. And I'm sure there is you know a possibility there to really win on both sides. So you're going to create an ally with a chief privacy officer rather than fight them. So I'm going to, so I'd, I'd, A, I'd like to see everybody do that. B, let's, let's pivot to another topic because you've also been involved quite recently in some, I'm not going to say cutting edge because it's not really cutting edge anymore, is it? But looking at the metaverse and some of the privacy implications or dare I say horror stories that might be coming down the line. And you described to me a couple of weeks ago about your, your well, you, you, you tell me what you, you tell the audience what you told me. I laughed because at that moment I decided to embrace evil and I decided to get my own headset. And from a privacy perspective, clearly these, these experiences that are real, um, you know, immersive, I should say. So these immersive experiences where um, you are going to um, share so much more of your information wearing a headset. Um, and, um, you know, there are, I think there is a, um, a study that was published recently was carried out by um, researchers from Berkeley University and Munich universities in which fundamentally if you use a headset and do a simple game, you was a puzzle game for 10, 20 minutes, you as a user are going to be, uh, or, or better, the company, the, the headset manufacturer or the app manufacturer are going to capture at least 25 single pieces of personal data out of you. And what was very scary is actually that those companies will have enough data to run a Monte Carlo assessment. A Monte Carlo assessment is a medical assessment that is designed to um, uh, diagnose things like uh, depression, uh, dementia, all kinds of um, attention disorders. And so having companies on the other side of, you know, in front or inside your headset um, that are able to collect so much about you and then have a very specific idea of some sort of issues that you might have as an issue where, again, depression, for example, if you're a teenager, knowing that these companies will have that knowledge, even before your parents, even before, you know, any other professionals um, has it, is, it is scary. And so this is what I say, I embrace evil because I knew that in doing that, I was going to expose myself to data collection. It is really to a very different scale from what we have today. And then I talk to companies that are already thinking about building their own digital properties. And what it means, if you are one of those luxury brands, um, you are inviting your own customer base to come and join you into the metaverse, for example. What, and, and as a brand, you need to think today, which kind of privacy not only experience, but which kind of data do I want my customers to be giving me? Because in, in you are, are building the digital property on top of an infrastructure that the platforms are, are building. And fundamentally today, these brands are relying on the decision uh, that the platforms or the headset manufacturers are making. And so <clears throat> I said, okay, let's see, how does it feel? So I put my headset on and I trying to understand more about privacy. And between the app stores and the device manufacturer and the app manufacturer, I have screenshots of over 400 different privacy, pieces of privacy, of privacy pages. So there are privacy pages for 
um, eye tracking. Uh, there is a privacy pages for every single thing that goes there. And what is difficult for me is that, first of all, your average consumer, the one that you're inviting to come and join you in the metaverse to visit your digital properties, will have to go through such a, a, a cognitive load that is already very difficult to, to deal with. I mean, 400 screenshots are a lot to go through. Um, and then it's frustrating because what you, you can do very few. I mean, they are telling you all the stuff that they are collecting from you, but as a user, you have very little power to change things. There is very little that you can do. And then finally, when you find a little piece of information that maybe you can say, I don't want you to collect from me, the controls are not in the page you are reading. So you are reading a page on your phone, and then to actually change that settings, you have to go into the headset and then the browser and then the settings of the browser and the privacy settings on the browser and then, you know, another million steps that you need to take and you feel so discouraged. And so the impression that I had is there is all these amazing, uh, shiny world of these immersive experiences in the metaverse and it's going to be so very cool. And then on the other side, there is this very boring privacy stuff that is lengthy and difficult to understand. And at the end of the day, you cannot really change much. So it's just this conflict that we are starting to see, which is very dangerous. Again, companies are building digital properties in these spaces without thinking, what does it mean for the privacy of my customers? What does it mean for my brand? Because if something goes wrong with privacy, the brand is going to bear the consequences of that. Um, and so, yeah, that was my very scary experience. So to Angelina's point before, uh, you said you don't, you know, you, you opt out of all of these tracking experiences and opt out of cookies and all that kind of stuff. You literally don't have a choice here. If you want to use headsets, if you want to get the experiences, there's no way of switching this stuff off at the moment. So I guess what is the... What's the recommendation? Is the recommendation avoid this stuff as a CX Pro? Don't build on it or embrace it knowing that this is a risk? How, how do you recommend people approach it? Um, also, you know, making reference to some of the conversations that I had with some of the analysts of Forrester that are doing all the research about the metaverse, this might be slower than we are expecting, maybe, but the train has left the station, as someone told me. So this is not something that you, are, as a brand, you say, well, I, I will avoid forever. Um, because at some point, to a different extent, but every brand at some point will have to wonder, what do we do with this? It's, it's like, you know, if you think about the internet, is like building a website or an app. Today is normal. Every company needs to have those kind of, of, of assets. And it will happen the same with the metaverse. I think more and more companies will build their digital properties in these environments, in these spaces. Um, and so the, the, from my privacy perspective, really the, the scary thing is companies are making investments already. Companies are deciding to lock themselves into certain infrastructure without considering what it means for the privacy of my user when all of that is going to be exposed. And so from a customer experience perspective is go today on your website and kind of learn some how to make the privacy experience better for the properties that you have today. And then whenever you are asked about, 
you know, what, what, what is our next step on the metaverse where we are building? Just ask the very uncomfortable question. How do we plan for users to understand the data that are collected? How do we plan to give them an opportunity to say, hey, I want to be forgotten? Um, and this can be just from an experience perspective. And I'm telling you, if you are asking those questions, if privacy hasn't already, they, they will come along because I think um, many privacy professionals are not completely aware of where this is going and what is happening. And some customer experience professionals might have a much uh, better understanding of, of some of these um, evolving within their organizations. Well, CX pros, you have your homework and we'd be really curious to hear your thoughts as you go through these experiences. You can reach out at cxcast at forrester.com and give us your own insights on this topic. And if you do, Enzo, we'd love to have you back for follow-up and see how this emerging topic progresses. Yes, absolutely. Thank you for having me today. And, and um, I'll come back anytime. Just call me. And thank you to producers Ellie and Julia, without whom none of this would happen. If you want to get in touch, email us at cxcast at forrester.com or message us on Twitter at cx underscore cast. As always, you can find us at www.thecxcast.com or on your favorite podcast platform. Don't forget to like and subscribe and tune in next time for more CX Insights. Thank you.